This is the We Fish with Phoenix Boats podcast, built by anglers for anglers. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the We Fish with Phoenix Boats podcast. I'm your host, Tim Trockenbrot. With me, as always, is my co-host, Brian Travis, and today in studio... Uh, hometown native. Well, you're not really hometown native. Tennessee native. I mean, one out of 50 states, but Mr. Brad Knight, Forestwood Cup champ. Um, champ, how you doing today? Man, I'm doing really good. You know, they say the two happiest days of a man's life is the day he buys a boat and the day he sells it. Well, I'm on the buying a boat program today, so <laughs> that's really good. I'm can't be, knock you down a peg at all today. That's right. Can you can ask me anything, but you can't tell me anything. That's kind of <laughs> that's kind of how we're feeling today. Hooking up to my new 2020 921 Elite. And going to be getting it home tonight and starting the rigging process. So I'm excited. You got a whole bunch of rigging to do, don't you, before you leave? What What are you leaving Friday? I'm leaving as soon as possible. But, yeah, definitely have a lot of rigging to do. Depth finders, uh, tackle, got to break the motor in, get it wrapped. Uh, I'm sure everything else that goes along with it. But, you know, it's uh, I'm kind of a little well-versed in it by this stage and kind of got a pretty good system going. So I'm anxious to get that thing in the garage and, and get some wires ripping through there. Now, do you like to rig, rig rig a lot of your own stuff? You know, I do. Uh, um, in the past, I, I've used some third-party stuff, but I, I like to really do it mostly either myself or, or working pretty close here with Duke in, in the factory. does a great job doing it. But I, I really like going over everything, kind of having it done to my specifics. So when we're on the road as much as we do, if we have an issue, I know exactly where things are at, how it's wired, where there's connections at, where the fuses are. I can go in there and – and really be efficient on, on getting things fixed if possible. You got a got a good buddy you bring over to the house to help you rig it? <laughs> I wished I did. I oh, wished no. I did. Yeah, I'm kind of like a Navy SEAL. I like to pack my own parachute. I got you. <laughs> well, I guess I'm Brian's parachute, uh, paracord, and uh, probably the airplane as well. Cause yeah. This, I'm going to use, can't I'm do gonna anything use Tim to push himself. me out of the plane, well, pull the cord, and help me land. <laughs> I will say this. I've had a few late-night phone calls with Tim over, uh, over a thing <laughs> or two at a, at a practice tournament. But, you know, for the most part, I don't really have any issues with my boat and and that's a, a hats off to you guys and the, and the product that you guys are putting out for us. So it allows us to go do our job a lot easier when we don't have that incessant fear of uh, this tears up or that tears up. You know, I just got to worry about getting there and getting back. Mm-hmm. Well, think, thinking about uh, doing your job and getting out there, uh, so this year we're fishing the tour, and then you're doing how many opens? I'm going to do both divisions of the opens, the eastern and the central, which combines up to about eight tournaments, I believe. So you got eight plus seven. I mean, you're going to be on the road. How many weeks do you think? Gosh, I'm afraid to add it all up. I was actually talking to my wife the other day, and when we we signed up originally for the Eastern Opens, and I, I went ahead and did the other division as well. And we're going to do a division of the FLW Series now, formerly the Costa Tournament, and then maybe a few other events there as well. Uh, just basically whatever there's a tournament I can get into this year, I'm going to be jumping in there. Uh, in the past, I, I, I don't know how to put this where it doesn't sound bad. I've, I've kind of worked really hard on the business side of the fishing and you know, i would do the flw tour event or i may run to an open here or there but i was coming back and really focused on uh, working for my sponsors really hard uh, some of the ones that i'd be going to a show or if there was an academy opening in houston versus fishing the bfl i was on a plane flying to a grand opening and i, I really want to try to get back to fishing more tournaments and we'll just kind of see how it goes for this year the industry's kind of been in a little bit of a shake-up the past few years to say the least and I just kind of think it's a good time to not necessarily fly one flag, but I just want to jump in everything and keep my options open at the end of 2020. Oh, I hear you. Now, uh, do you feel like that's going to stretch yourself thin, doing 
that many events. I mean, you're talking over 20 events now once we add in another Costa series and possibly some BFLs on top of that. Yeah, and that's something I was a little worried about. But when I put it all out on a calendar, it's really spaced out enough to where like probably March, April, and May are the busiest times. But that's, you know, the historically for me, that's when I make my most hay. That April, May, June, you're fishing a lot. Fish are shallow. They're spawning. They're, you know, get on out on the ledges on the Tennessee River, stuff I'm a little more accustomed to. And things for me, I'm not the best early in the year, that wintertime pre-spawn. That's when I tend to struggle the most. So once I can kind of fight through that, I want to try to fish as much as I can past that. But there's a lot more events now in the fall and the late summer. So it's not all spring heavy. Like used to when I first started, it was from January to June, and then you didn't have anything to do past that. And now with more tournaments going up north or expanding out into different regions, it's allowing us to get more into that. August, September, October range as well. So I, I'm like that. I, I like fishing in the fall, and it gives us a little bit more diversity there to fish with. It's interesting you brought up the timing of the year and, and kind of which part of the year and the season is your heyday. I think we were looking at it uh, last season. I think the first tournament of the year was your, your worst finish, but it you was. turned right around. I think you cut a check in every tournament yeah, after every that. Every single one after uh, that. Yeah, I was kind of right around the, just outside the top 30 cut on the tour, and that was uh, something that was sort of frustrating. I, I was – Never could really get over into that cut range, especially on two or three of them. I really thought I had a chance, but I would stump my toe a little bit the first day or just be an ounce or two out of making that cut. But the other hand is is that I stay consistent. You're making paydays. You're making championships, and that's really good. But I, I you know, what we all do, we're all greedy. I had seven events in the first tournament. I almost zero. I finished. I beat about five or six people there. Just had a terrible first tournament of the year at Sam Rayburn, but rebounded up and what that allowed me to do or forced me to do was fish conservatively a little bit more throughout the year because you can make the cup if you have one bad event out of seven, but you can't have two. So after Sam Rayburn, I said, all right, big boy, now there's no gambling. There's no, you know, trying to risk it up. It's just, you know, get those limits and just do the best you can, just one fish at a time every day. And that actually probably got me in a pretty good groove and and just knowing, you know, if I, I just got to go catch the fish, just get them in the box and, I were able to make that happen. So I don't know. I, I, I look back at what could have been. I would have liked to have replaced my average finish that I had throughout the year at Sam Rayburn. I think going to Lake Champlain, I'm, you know, in the hunt for angler of the year at that point in time. So that, that kind of stings a little bit. I had a, an okay year, but it wasn't, uh, wasn't anything magical or anything like that. But hopefully we can carry some of that momentum into 2020. Now, how hard was it to fight that urge to not, I mean, all right, I got a limit now. Do I need to just go practice a little bit more? Do I need to keep my bites in, in these areas? Or where's yeah. there every time you're like, man, I think I'm just going to go swinging for them? Well, depending on where you're at in the day and what your, you know, kind of your target weight, which you know is going to be pretty good or not. And it, it affects you a little bit, but for the most part, it's just staying consistent. And like if I knew if I came out of the boat launch and I turned right, I may go get five or six bites, but they may be great big ones. But the chance to fall on your face is high. Versus turning left, and I might go get 20 bites and maybe have, you know, just be inside the check range or something. I had to, it forced my hand to make that left hand turn instead of the right. I kind of like gambling and kind of going for it a little bit. And, you know, there's a time and a place, you know, you can't win it if you're not making the cut, right? So mm -hmm. you want to try to make those cuts and, and get to that final day. And that's when you can make those gambles. And I've got to kind of, and it's a constant battle with myself. I want to, Fishing to win, quote unquote, in that what everybody does, swing for the fence, whatever. I want to always try to go get the biggest ones you can be around, 
sometimes you just got to know when to punt and when not to. Mm-hmm. So did you feel like this was a punt year for you? I felt like it allowed me to – I mean, uh, it was a heck of a year. Yeah, it was a decent year. It, I think it just was uh, – it kind of forced my hand to just be consistent in kind of the way I built my career on. Maybe not making a lot of final day cuts but being in the check line a lot. And after the cup win in 2015, it changed my mentality a little bit as far as just financially I was – if I wasn't doing what I knew I needed to be doing to win the tournament, it would bother me. Like, why are you even out here to try to get a check? Mm-hmm. So what? And I can remember this example. And looking back, I think I'm crazy, but at the time, it, I thought it made sense. At Okeechobee, like the first day, I had twelve or thirteen pounds in South Bay, and I was in a pretty decent area. And I thought, man, you know, if I catch exactly what I caught all the first day, or I get lucky and catch a good one, I'm just going to still just get a check, or just be barely outside the cut. I don't, I can't win here. Mm-hmm. And I just would pull my trolling motor up and just run somewhere completely new I've never even been to in the tournament. And, and sometimes it would work out to where you found them and you look like you knew what you were doing, and sometimes you wouldn't. But in my mind, I was rationalizing that by saying, hey, if I'm not in a place to win the tournament at, why go back? And that led to some pretty disastrous finishes. But on the same hand, it also made me some top tens. And I think Kentucky Lake had a chance there going into the final day. You know, I can think back to uh, – Lake Erie or Detroit River and Lake St. Clair had a really good finish and, and probably should have won that tournament that Chad Grigsby won. But, uh, yeah, so through that period that I had prior to this year, I had some of my worst finishes but some of my highest finishes, and that's kind of that, that roller coaster ride that we talk about, right, the ebbs and flows mm-hmm. of bass fishing. And uh, Well, we're still waiting for our upside, so. Yeah, well, <laughs> me too, right? There's <laughs> never enough of them. I don't think we got our dang safety bar locked right now. Yeah. <laughs> we're on the downhill side. Um, but no, you've been at this for a while. I mean, over 12 years now. Yeah. Something as a professional. like that. I'd hate to think I've not really ever thought about adding it up. It's over 10, I guess. So I guess 12, what year is 2020? I don't even remember the first year I started. It's been so long. Yeah. We're over 10 or 12 years, something like that at 37. Now I think that's that would be right. Yeah. 25 is my first year on tour. And then I skipped a year in there. So this is probably either starting my 11th or 12th season on the FLW tour. And you worked at a pharmacy, right? Mm-hmm. So how I do did. you go from working in a pharmacy? First of all, I want to know what you did there. Yep. And then how do you go from working in a pharmacy to professional fisherman? Man, I had a really good setup there. And, and hats off to the ladies I worked for, Jay and Jana, a little small hometown pharmacy. I started there when I was 15 mm-hmm. with all the aspirations of, of being a pharmacist. So I go and get all my undergrad stuff done. And at the same time I'm doing this, I'm, I'm working at the drugstore and they allow me to have time off to go fish as a co-angler on the then that was the Everstart tour. And I, I was fishing with uh, a guy that mentored me a lot and really took me under his wing and taught me a lot of the ropes, James Knuckles. He uh, runs a tournament trail there in East Tennessee that's a Phoenix tournament. I'm sure you guys are familiar yeah, with him. We know James. Yep. So I was traveling with him, I guess, as a 20-year-old kid going to Lake Okeechobee, and that was really my first taste of, of outside-of-the-house tournament bass fishing. I grew up fishing ponds and lakes and – all that stuff around just whatever you could wade or whatever stream you were fishing to, you know, a little bit more tournaments here or there. But I played sports and I had that competitive fire or burn. And then after you get out of high school, I didn't go to college to play sports. There was nothing left to really compete at. And I kind of got into fishing like the local Thursday nighters and that kind of deal around the house and just wanted to get better and better and just became possessed with it, really obsessed it in the word. I was possessed. I mean, it was eat, sleep, fish, almost literally. And, uh, Going to Okeechobee for that first tournament as a co-angler at 20 was what really changed my life and when I knew this is what I wanted to do. So to get back to it, 
um, worked at the drugstore since I was 15, so I was there the whole time. And they would allow me the time off to go fish, and then whenever I would come back home, they would take off time with their kids, go on vacation or whatever they would do, and I would run the store there. And that worked all the way through all of uh, I was a co-angler starting out and never start all the way through BFLs as a boater, to ever starts as a boater, to the FLW Tour as a boater. And after my win in 2015, that allowed me to have the financial backing and the sponsorships to pursue a full-time career into it. And, and since 2015, it's been our sole source of income. So going back, I mean, you were going to school to be a pharmacist, mm-hmm. and then you just said, that's fun and all, but I'm ready to just go fish. Well, this is kind of the weird part. I'm sort of the black sheep in our family. Nobody fishes. I, everybody's golf or, or whatever there. So when I sat down and told them I wasn't going to go on to pharmacy school, I was going to be a professional bass angler. That wasn't the most popular thing around the, the Thanksgiving dinner table. So you can imagine how that kind of went over. But, uh, you know, I just stayed positive and, and just knew and believed that I was going to give it everything I had and I could always go back to school. Got all my undergrad done, and it was kind of a fork in the road for me. I could um, apply to pharmacy school and go on and do that, wear a white lab coat, be a Walmart pharmacist, or I could go bass fishing. And I knew I wouldn't be happy. I, I was really – I loved what I did at the store I was at. I worked for an independent store, two ladies – that took great care of me, and, and I really enjoyed my job. But I never saw myself outside of that in pharmacy, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Like, I didn't want to be working down the road at Walgreens pulling a 12-hour shift, not what I wanted to do. So, uh, you know, I just knew I was going to make it somehow or another. And the thing with us is our lifestyle isn't to be rich or, or have these huge grand illusions. We just want to support what we do, right? We want to fish. We like to hunt. We like to be – you know, pretty free, not have to answer to really anybody. We own our own company, and uh, that, that's what we do. So that that's was our goal in going into it, and I knew I could make that work if I just had the right break and just kind of stayed down, kept my head down, worked hard, and finally got it in 2015 and tried to make the best of it as much as I could. Mm-hmm. So where did you get the undergrad from? Uh, Rome State. Rome State. Mm-hmm. Right. What sports when you were growing up? You mentioned you played Football, sports. basketball, ba- baseball, yeah. Nice. Football well, was definitely my favorite. Was it what position did you play? I played outside linebacker and wide receiver. So double sided. Oh, yeah. Kids had to pick what, which way they were going to go. Yeah, we're a small town in the mountains of East Tennessee, so we don't have the luxury of having a lot of football players out. I mean, you you played all special teams, all defense, offense. You just never came off the field, and that's you just didn't know any better. So that was that's some of the best times ever. Some of my guys I played ball with, I still talk to regular today, and that's uh, that's a fun time for all you kids listening. Uh, Make sure you get on that football team. That's that's one thing I think I really encourage young guys to do. It isn't about liking the coach. It's not about playing time. It's about being on a team. It's being disciplined. You know, learning to practice, learning how to work, and and then getting to go out there and execute. That's uh, something I'm a big proponent of. Yeah, how many kids uh, did you graduate with? How was it? A- I had about a hundred in my graduating class. Okay, so it was what were you two A, three A? We were two A. In the yep. state championships? No, no, we weren't really that good. We played a lot of teams that won state championships. <laughs> you say Judge played against Rankin and them and Alcoa? Yeah, we did. We did actually every year we played Alcoa. Yeah. So that was uh, we played Alcoa, Austin East. Uh, Harriman had a really good football team. A lot of East Tennessee teams that were yeah. – Kingston had a really good team there the year we were there. I, I'm trying to think in the course of my high school days how many state championship teams we played that had won – and it was quite a few, mm-hmm. except for us. We we weren't really that good. <laughs> <laughs> they just had a star wide receiver, right? Yeah, that's right. 
That's what I'd like to think anyway. <laughs> Remember that whole I didn't go to college to play football. <laughs> so no one uh, – you said no one in your family really. You were the black sheep. No one fished. Yeah. So, so how did you get into that? I grew up in a neighborhood that had two small ponds in it. And to me, they were like lakes at the time. But I can remember my earliest fishing moments, like watching Bill Dance or uh, Bassmasters on TNN and wanting to go out and replicate that. And I'd be down at the local pond. and We just, we just fished for stuff that would bite. You know, we may have a rod with chicken liver thrown out on it while we're holding a rod with a floater or catching a bluegill. We, whatever. We just wanted to catch. Mm-hmm. That was the main thing. And I think that's something we all kind of get away from is just that passion of wanting to catch a fish, right? That's That's what got us all into it, watching a floater go down or – you know, pulling trot lines. There's a million different ways that we all can relate to what was that one moment that, that got us. But that was, for me, I can, my earliest memories of, of bass fishing. Now, how old were you in that? Uh, I'm going to guess probably somewhere in the five to seven range. And we had a little small lake cabin there that our family had. And I would just, again, we're back to that possessed moment. I'd just stay on that dock and fish for brim or whatever. would bite for hours upon hours as a kid. Everybody else would go out and want to ride a tube or go skiing or whatever, go swimming. I just wanted to stand on that dock and catch one after another. You know, if I caught a hundred bluegill, I wanted to catch a hundred and one. That's pretty fun there. Yeah. Um, so your your parents though were they supportive of of the whole fishing deal? Once you told them, did it take some <laughs> shock factor? Like- you know, uh, yeah, they were ultimately were supportive. They uh, disagreed with what I wanted to do for a living. We'll just probably be able to put it that way but they were always sort of supportive I, I guess they never told me no you shouldn't do it but boy they really shook their head you know i can and as a parent now i look back and, and i'm sure if my daughter comes to me and she says hey i want to be you know something that's a little more unique for a career versus you know a pharmacist i'm probably going to raise my eyebrows as well barrel racer yeah i'm gonna go well that sounds really good and all but no <laughs> well, i think some parents like my parents didn't realize it till they went to their first I think they went to a Forcewood Cup when Kevin Hawk won, like mm-hmm. 2010. It was at Lanier, growing up in Georgia. They had no idea just how big of an industry it really is. Yeah, and I think that, that probably a lot of that sentiment as well. Uh, just wanted to be, you know, make sure that their child was getting into something that's going to be financially beneficial. You know, we can all like to do something, but that doesn't mean that you can make a living doing or support yourself. They just wanted to get you out of the house, though, too. Probably a lot, and I was dug <laughs> in. I mean, <laughs> Uh, this is what I, the funniest story that I can tell from my parents and bass fishing. This is I still give them grief about it. We can laugh about it now, but I can assure you this story was no laughing matter when I was a 17-year-old just graduated from high school. So you know how you get all your graduation money, you get all your cards are coming in. Man, I'm like stacking cash. I've got, man, I don't know, three or $4,000 here. I mean, I don't even know what to do with myself. I'm just looking at it, making it rain on myself. got cash. <laughs> so I'm going to buy a bass boat. So I tell my mom and dad, hey, you know, I got all this money. I'm just going to go buy a boat. No, no, you're not going to buy a boat. As long as you live here, you're going to abide by our rules. You don't have anywhere to keep it. You can't get a boat. Okay, I won't get one. Five minutes later, I'm looking through the, the bargain. Whatever this little page is. You remember the mm-hmm. bargain mark yeah. or bargain or something? I'm looking at and uh, find a boat I could afford. It was like $1,500. And I go meet this guy. It's a 17. I don't even remember what brand it was. It's like a 17-footer that had like a 90 on it. And I bought it for fifteen hundred dollars, and I remember like sneaking it home. Like I drove home. <laughs> I've been graduating like less a couple of weeks, so I'm you know I'm seventeen, almost eighteen. You can I, I can't be told anything. You can imagine. So I come sneaking this boat home at like ten o'clock at night. And I'm just going to pull on the driveway and then just give them the old surprise in the morning. You know, like <laughs> now what are you going to do? Told you I was getting one. I can remember open sneaking in the garage. 
opening the door, coming into the living room, and I could hear both of them just stampeding down the stairs, just coming down. <laughs> Again, we can laugh about it now, but not so much then. But <laughs> long story short, they were not going to let me keep the boat. I was going to take that boat and take it back where I got it and get my money back. So I can remember vividly having to make a phone call to the gentleman I bought it from and tell him my parents will not allow me to keep this boat and I'm going to have to bring it back to him and get my money back. Did he give it back to you? Yeah, he did. And, uh, man, I remember that just – that sucked. That's mm-hmm. about all you could say. That was yeah. embarrassing and, and also – uh, yeah, no, not a fishing boat for me, so I had to wait probably another two or three years to actually be able to buy my next boat that I had. So I was, my, my big joke around them now is there's no telling where my career in fishing would be if they would have, wouldn't have stunted it by right, they making me take my first bass boat. Yeah. Yeah. So, so now did you, get, you didn't even get to get it wet. Oh, no, 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 I didn't, no. I made it into the driveway. It was there for about eight hours, and it, it was out the next morning. Yeah, oh, they were good night. I thought it was a really good idea, and they reminded me quickly that uh, – as long as you want to live under the, this roof, you're going to go by our rules. So it was kind of a little – that was my rebellion moment, maybe, yeah, I look back. So I remember being a kid, and you hear that all the time. Like, you live in my house. Right. My room, and you're like, I will never do that with my kids. And right. Now I got kids. I'm like, oh, this is my house. Oh, for my sure. My rules. For <laughs> sure. Some kids at 18 get a tattoo, and Brad Knight gets a $1,500 fishing boat. That's right. <laughs> That's two different types of rebellions for yep. sure. So yep. tell us about that first boat then, once you got one that you got to keep for more than 24 hours. Yep. I, I traded $1,000 cash and a Remington Model 700 22 250 to a guy for a Procraft with a – get ready for this, guys – a 150. Mm. I mean, if you had a 150 back in the day – I mean, you had it going on. Right? You're that big was, time. I mean, it might rip your face off when you're going down the lake. We weren't really sure what was going to happen. <laughs> but uh, that was a, it was a red Procraft. I had new carpet and new seats put on it. And uh, my very first year of fishing tournaments on my own, I fished the Morgan County Bassmasters out of it that year. And, man, I was just back to that possessed mode, man. I, I literally couldn't function without thinking about fishing, getting better at fishing. And, hey, this was before YouTube – I mean, all your information source was what you saw on television on a TV show or you read in Bassmaster Magazine, right? So the information wasn't really there, and you were just – if you're starved for it, you just try to go as much as you can, pick the brain of as many people as you can. And I was fortunate to grow up around uh, – in there in East Tennessee, there were so many guys that were fishing professionally. So it wasn't a, like a hard thing to accomplish. Like a lot of guys talk about – Oh man, my, my idol growing up was Denny Brower or Tommy Biffle or you know whoever it was. My guys were Craig Powers, uh, Wesley Strader, James, the guys that fished professionally. But I saw them at Walmart. Mm-hmm. And man, I mean that was a big. I can remember Wesley Strader having the Fujifilm truck, and if I was at just driving down the road and I saw him, like man, I'm just gonna see where he. Like I would follow him to like Walmart and be like, oh, just casually act like I'm gonna go shopping there. Oh, what's up? What's going on? Hey, you catching any fish? Like, you know, the next thing you know, I could turn that into an hour long. I mean, it'd be like trying to buy a loaf of bread, and I'd be like following them down the car in the, the aisle. But that was what I, that was my only direct avenue to anybody that I could actually talk to that did it for a living. That was such a huge thing for me. That was like the unicorn, right? Man, this guy actually fishes for uh, he's doing it right. So I can just a million questions I had, and so many of those guys from my neighborhood took me under their wing and really really gave me a lot of really good advice and, and showed me a lot of stuff. And, and Craig Powers, he used to fish the tour, actually became a tournament partner of mine. We, we fished tournaments for years and years around the house. Uh, James Knuckles we talked about earlier, uh, we fished a lot of tournaments together. Remember the old Stratus uh, team tournament? Mm-hmm. We used to fish a lot of those together. 
So, uh, so many people I owe so much for, for the effort and the time they spent talking to a kid when they really didn't have to. And this is back in a time before it was cool to bass fish turn. Now, like every high school kid's got a brand new boat and it's the cool thing to do. Trust me when I tell you, when I would take my boat to college, I would get in a lot of trouble because I took up two parking spaces and they did yeah. not like it. Oh, I can imagine that. So I do. How does it feel? You know, think back when you were that kid and you saw that Fuji truck going on the road and you're excited, wanting to go talk to him and pick his brain. Um, fast forward to now, and now people are wanting information from you. You're that guy. Yeah. That like, how cool does that feel? I mean, what does that feel and what does it mean to you? you well, know? it means a lot, and that's one thing I try to make any myself available as best I can for those guys. I mean, anybody that wants to come up in the sport, whether they're 18 or 48, you know, any advice I can have or anybody that I can help, I, I try to do my best because I, I vividly remember what it's like to you know, have access to somebody finally that you really would you know, want to know what they thought about things. and. So I, I try to make the best time I can for that stuff because it means a lot to me as well. And, and you know, it's not a, a title, quote-unquote, in the sport moving forward, but when I won the Cup in 2015, I kind of felt like I was an ambassador to bass fishing for a little while. Like it was a role, and I felt a responsibility. All right, I have to not only take it where, where I was handed, but grow it a little bit. Mm -hmm. and, and that was a thing that was pretty neat to me, especially in the area that I was from is how many people I introduced to bass fishing tournaments and, and still follow not only myself, but just tournament bass fishing in general because they were you know subjected to it from from the cup win and, and the things that were followed by that. So that, that really meant a lot to me as well. I mean, that's like having an MD after your name. You never lose that. You're Correct. always going to be introduced as FLW cup yeah, winner. That's right. Brad Knight. Right. So that's that's exactly right. And, and you know, that's the – we hope we have a, a – huge long storied career with a whole lot of more accolades but man at the end of the day if i never catch another bass and my fishing career ended tomorrow i wouldn't like it but i couldn't complain i mean i've set out and accomplished pretty much every goal i wanted to do 37 years old we're gonna obviously set some new goals and stuff but move forward but i mean i've uh, i've lived one of the greatest lives that anybody could ever live so when you think about goals, do you sit down and, and you and Becky sit down at the beginning of the year or, or at, at the end of last year and kind of jot down some thoughts? I mean, what, what do you have a goal for every year going into it? You know, if I sat down and said, hey, my goal is exclusively to be the angler of the year and win the championship, that, that's just sort of cliche. I mean, everybody does, right? Like, hey, I'm going to pay $40,000 worth of entry fees for the FLW Tour this year. You dang well better believe that you're going to go win every one of them. Mm -hmm. Now, I know that's not realistic, but you better believe that you can before you put that kind of money down. So my goals sort of stay more like just keep my bills paid, um, X number of dollars above your cost, you know, just support the lifestyle. That's my main, my main goal coming in. As long as I can keep food on the table, house payment paid, money in the bank, making it to the next year, you know, not by the skin of your teeth, but like business-wise, everything is going good, then that, that's my main goal. I got you. So no, no real performance goals that you kind of. No, not really. I mean, I just go out and work as hard as I can every day, and if it happens, it happens, and if not, you know, I'll see you at the next one. I mean, I just, I, it's kind of a weird deal. Like if you say, all right, I'm going to try to get a check in every tournament, or, or I just, I'm not the person that needs that kind of goal oriented to uh, motivation. I'm going to get up and be on the water before most people. I'm going to be on the water more than most people. I'm going to put the more work in. I just don't. Me personally, I, I don't need that. To mm -hmm. be like, hey, I, man, one of my goals is one angler of the year. I know it's raining. I better get out there. I, I just, I'm going to be out there anyway. So I just go out and keep my head down, work as hard as I can, and see where I'm at when the smoke clears. I understand. I understand. Now you've gone 
for traveling on these events. You've had the family with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember seeing pictures of you pulling a hundred foot rig with your <laughs> truck and fifth wheel and then boat behind it. Yeah. Now we've we've graduated to a, a Lance camper in the pickup. Yep. Um, how was that uh, when the family was traveling with you or when they weren't? I mean, you're always are you always going to be a camper? Yeah, I will. I uh, I'm a huge camping fan, and I've done it for probably ninety percent of my career, if not more. And one of the coolest things that the Cup win in 2015 did for me, um, prior to that, in 2014, my wife – you know what? I'm just going to back up and tell this part of the story. This is really important. My wife uh, and I had a daughter seven years ago, and she was due two weeks before we were supposed to leave for Okeechobee for the first tour of end of the year. So long story short, her maternity leave kind of lined up with most of the season. Remember back we're talking about where we started in January and my mm-hmm. junior done – well, her three-month maternity leave, we had one at home, and then I think I'm, she didn't get to come to the very last one. So 95% of the tournament, she was on in maternity leave as Tinsley was born. All right, The next year, she goes back to work as a nurse, and Tinsley's a year old, and my first tournament, I remember it was like two and a half weeks. It was uh, a back-to-back deal in Florida, and I come back home, and I remember picking my daughter up. She's a year at the time, and just she looking at me like, you know, who's this guy that's got a hold of me? And that, that bothered me really bad. And I'd go have a bad – I was homesick. I'd be go, driving to a tournament thinking, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing as a, as a parent now, responsibility-wise? It was a poor season, probably the worst ever. It was just a perpetual snowball effect, just terrible, terrible, bad tournament, guilty for being there, mad at yourself for having a bad one, the money you spent, come home, your daughter doesn't recognize you, just unnecessary stress on everybody. After that season was over, I sat Becky down and I said, listen, here's the deal. That's not fair for me, and it's not fair for you. So either you're going to quit your job, and we're going to go fishing 100% full-time, or I'm going to not fish the tour, and I'm going to scale back. I'll work at the store, finish school, you know, and just fish around the house. But I'm not going to make that decision you are, because I'm not going to have it thrown back in my face one of these days. You know, we've all heard the, the horror stories of some of the failed marriages. I mean, this is a tough deal to make a living out here. You're on the road. It's hard on families, and it's stressful financially you know, it's a, it's a tough really tough gig and uh, i said you know i don't want to have this thrown up in my face years later if things don't work out as i was the reason so you do it you make the decision whatever we do and i'll, I'll live with it so like a week later she comes home and says well i did it i said what'd you do she said i put my notice in we're going fishing and then I thought, oh, hell, what have I done yeah. now? <laughs> You're like a little bit of notice to yeah. be able to Notice, what do you mean? So now I've taken my guaranteed income from my wife. It's an uh, LPN, our guaranteed health insurance. You know, and I've got a one-year-old little girl sitting over in the corner playing with her toys, and all of a sudden, if you want to feed her, I better catch a bass. And I remember thinking, I, that sounded like a really good idea when I was, you know, <laughs> man, big eye when I first came really Right. Great idea thinking, when I thought oh, you'd tell me there's man, no way. Yeah, I've got my head in my hands thinking, oh, Lord. So that's in uh, 2000, whatever. So we start the season. The next following year would be 2014. We had a fifth wheel camper that I would hook. We had one truck, and I would hook my boat and camper together, and we would just haul it all over the place. That's what we did. We were just gypsies. And I had a pretty good year that year. Made the cup. Made the cut in the cup. uh, That was the first year you made the cup, too, wasn't it? Yeah, that that was my first year making the cup. And uh, so I I had a pretty good year. A really good tournament at Gunnersville one time. I think in a Costa event, came in third or fourth. So, bought a new house. Things were going along pretty good. Uh, started the 2015 season uh, again in the camp in the fifth wheel that we were in, and uh, had a really good year. Won the cup at the end, and uh, and this gets gets back into the part I'm the most proud of. 
all right, we did, we survived the sacrifice and the struggle of, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? And we made it pay off with, at the, our time, the biggest tournament there was going because it paid a half a million dollars. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I was, we were looking like geniuses then, but what that allowed me to do, we ended up getting another truck. So Becky pulled the boat and I pulled our new, we got a bigger camper. But the time that I had with my family, till my daughter went to school as a kindergartner, till the day she was born, aside from that one year, they were all with me on the road and we would pack the the house up and you know, winterize the house and right after the new year we would head to florida and it, we would have a campsite down there we could rent a campsite for what it cost for a month for what it cost to heat my house and the gas bill so it made financial sense to be there my daughter's three years old if we wanted to go ride around at the beach one day we did that if we wanted to go to disney world one day we would do that in between tournaments you know if we had three weeks between Florida and Texas, we would just stay in Florida. So that whole time period, it allowed me to spend all that time and, and really be with my daughter. She grew up and you can't put a, a price tag on that, that time that we got the experiences that we had as a family. That was, that's some of the greatest times and I'm sure will be in my whole entire life. And that, that was of all the things I can think back about the cup win and, and everything that bass fishing has brought to me. It, that's the most proud I've, I can part of my career, I guess. Now they're going to be traveling. They still travel with you now that she's back in school. I mean, the school just probably frowns upon yeah, we, if, some of that. Yeah, if there's some close tournaments, we make it work. Uh, spring break, summertime, obviously, they'll kind of load up and go with me. And, and I have the Lance truck camper now. After uh, they went to school, I condensed it, sold the fifth wheel, and ended up just going just a slide-in truck camper for myself. But it's big enough. It's got two slide-outs. that We don't have any trouble making a week or a 10-day trip workout. If you were on the – you know, before, we would be gone for three months and – that would be a little bit tricky to do with the truck camper, but you know, with a forty foot fifth wheel, it was okay. But man, we had a had a really good time doing that, and that's that's some of the most cherished times of my life for sure. Now, do you still eat good when she doesn't come with you? I do. I, I have a little big green egg that I carry with me, and and I I cook all my own meals. So I'm a big time bow hunter. That's I guess my passion would be would be hunting in the off season, and I like to elk hunt or deer. And uh, I, we pretty much cook our own food, and most of our meat is, is stuff that I, I harvest from hunting. And I'm really proud of that aspect as well. I, we eat, a lot of times eat vegetables that are homegrown with you know, elk steak and stuff. And I just it's all about controlling my environment, right? I'm not hoping that Wendy's cheeseburger that I'm going to eat the night before a tournament didn't sit out for six hours and get salmonella on it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I just try to control everything I can, and I, I like to get home and. I have like I sit down before practice starts and I'll make a meal list out. Like on Mondays is going to be spaghetti, Tuesdays elk steak, that kind of stuff, and it allows me to keep most of my focus, my thoughts on bass fishing, and not let my mind wander or slip off. Like I wonder what I'm going to have to cook for dinner tonight or, or something like that. So that that helps me on it as I'm solo out on the road now. Do you normally set up and camp with anybody in particular? Or? Uh, not really. Uh, just a couple of guys. Just. There's so many people camping now. When I started doing it like 10 years ago, nobody really did it. You'd pull in a, in a campground and it'd be just one or two other people. And now there's quite a few more people that are doing it now. So that's one of the neat things about the truck camper lifestyle versus renting a house or, or doing the hotels. Everybody, we might all get together and grill out one night and everybody sit around a picnic table and eat hamburgers and, and build a little campfire and all that stuff. But everybody's got their own little place to go back to, their own little camper or their house, whatever you want to call it, their own space. So... That's that's one pretty neat thing about the camping community that we were able to do. What what's one of the craziest things you've seen while you're out camping? Oh my gosh, uh, oh man, I, I've seen some. You know the camp in the camp 
grounds not too awful crazy, believe it or not. I've seen a few marital spats here or there, some some uh, overindulgence, some alcohol from some of the campers in the summertime, but that's really about it. You know, we're not there very much. You know, we're, we're gone early in the morning and, and back late at night, so I can't really remember anything super crazy that's happening. The, most part's pretty safe, and that's yeah. that's another advantage to doing it as well, pretty laid back. So you ever had anybody steal anything from I the campsite? I haven't. I, I actually did have, when I was staying in houses and doing that, I got my boat broken into one time, and they stole all my fishing rods out of it at Kentucky Lake. But uh, no, not since since going to the camping program. All, all the crimes have been avoided so far. Now, are you a fairly clean person? Because I've been in some some guys' campers, and you can tell who knows their wife's going to be coming for weigh-in that week, and it's a lot cleaner than yeah. the guy who doesn't. Are you a fairly neat no, and organized person? Yeah, absolutely, in there? absolutely. And, again, we're talking about a truck camper. It's got to fit in the bed of your truck. So it, you want to try to keep it pretty neat and organized because if it gets out of hand, you know, it can get pretty bad pretty quick. You don't have a lot of space to turn around in if you, if you don't watch it. But that's one good thing about the Lance 1172 that I run. It's got two slide-outs, so it opens up pretty good. But I'm a systematic guy. Like, everything's got a place, and – um, I can go out and get dirty and, and all that as much as anybody, but kind of keep that outside the camper. You know? mm-hmm. Just one of the kick your shoes off where you come in deals. Now, what about in the boat? You pretty organized in the boat? Yeah, same way. I've just again, it gets back into we we're talking about the food. I try to control every variable I can, so efficiency and just having a systematic approach to things is is got to be. Everything has to be just so before I can start my day out, right? Like as long as I can't just I'm not the guy that I'm just going to grab a spinner bait and a buzz bait and a couple of tackle boxes throw them in the boat and. I'll be, be good. I've got to have everything, you know, just just so before I can mentally be good and and looking forward to the day. You taking notes, Brian? Mm-mm. No, <laughs> this is this is foreign to me. I don't know what you're talking. He about. He has yeah. no idea. I just pile it all up. And, and I'm a little too down. OCD, so us fishing together sometimes is problematic because yeah. I will tell him exactly. It's behind. Count seven boxes back. There it is. It's right there. And he's like, I can't find it. I can't find it. Right. But you go in his, and he's got nine Walmart sacks, and he's like, Oh, it's it's in one of those. Just find it. You waste five minutes trying to go through his stuff. I mean, yeah, it's nuts. I know exactly where it is. Yeah, I couldn't take that. If, if you said, "Hey, I need to get a Fire Tiger 1.5 out," I can tell you how many boxes from the front it is and which hole in the tray it's going to be at. So, oh, see, I'm the same way, and I'm real anal when strapping my rods down too. Like, if it's under seven and a half feet, it's on the driver's side, and if it's over, it's on the passenger side. I can't stand when stuff's not. I actually even like it to be sloping down. Biggest to smallest, so yeah. you got some of that Brian thrift in you. you know, he, he's that way. With he has stacks all his rods there, and they can't cross, or they got to be just, oh, just definitely can't just laying them just right. So no, they got to be right. Handles always up, yeah, and they got to be tucked away just so. Um, but so talking about the camping though, uh, you've been in a Lance and you're enjoying that mm-hmm. over the fifth wheel. Yep, that's awesome. I've always wanted to get one of those. Yeah. Pretty expensive, though. They are. Uh, but one cool thing about, like, the Lance versus the fifth wheel is I can pull in and get gas anywhere I want to in my truck, which, you know, when I'm pulling that fifth wheel, I was pretty much relegated to truck stops and, and then the norm. So especially with the boat behind the fifth wheel, mm-hmm. I don't even know how long that was, but I'm certain it was illegal. <laughs> You're wanted in several <laughs> cities. Yeah, was, let's just say we pushed the boundary a couple of times, but uh, that's kind of the way. I mean, you can't back up. You're just – you got to go forward the entire time. Oh no! If you got to back up, you're you're in bad trouble. Mm. So yeah, it's. And I had a couple of situations that were really dicey. I mean, bad. But luckily, I never got in a place where I had to unhook or any of that stuff. Now, always being a diesel guy, does it tick you off when a gas car is sitting at the diesel? Pump? Oh my gosh! I actually. <laughs> <laughs> Attention everyone out there driving right now. If you have a diesel truck, I don't need to explain this to you, but 
for the most part, if you pull in a six pump station, the one on the ends have diesel fuel. As long as the ones on the inside are open, hey, car guys, pull over there. <laughs> Use the middle ones. I know that nothing ticks a diesel guy off more than that. I was oh. sitting in, there's nothing better than having like four pumps open and one car at the gas station pumping on the one diesel pump tank. Like, come on, bro. Right? Really? Mm-hmm. I just pull it right behind it. I think gas stations just out. make them completely separate. I do, too. What used to drive me nuts when I had my diesel was the the truck stops that wouldn't allow you to go back where the big trucks were. You know, they wouldn't put a card reader or anything on it. So oh, yeah. You, as the auto guy, couldn't right. do them because you could fill up in about 32 oh, yeah. seconds yeah. on yeah. those big those. pumps. Yeah, we got the big nozzle there. Yeah. Yep. Well, talking about next year, so we, we, we hit on, you're doing 20 tournaments, you're going to be stretched thin, but mm-hmm. uh, is family coming with you on some of them? They definitely will for some, yeah, whatever they can, I'm sure they'll want to come in. And, and that's one thing now, my daughter's almost eight, she's kind of getting to that time now, she's got spring break, maybe she probably, there's a lot more things she'd rather be doing than coming with dad on a fishing trip and living in a truck camper, and I get that, so that's kind of all new territory that we're all kind of feeling out as we go, and and it's easy to say, man, I can't wait to fish all these tournaments in like December when you've been cooped up for four months. But talk to me in May when I'm on, you know, like four week road stretch of not being home and I may think that might not have been the greatest idea ever. But. And I've been told once girls hit teenage years anyway, they don't want anything to do with you. So yeah. you might as well cherish this last little bit. Yeah, I really dread. And then let days. me know how it goes. Yeah. I'm not far behind you. Yeah. Yeah. And congratulations, by the way. We've got our own Tim. His oh, dad yeah. is uh, number two little boy. Old, old Lander. That's awesome. Congratulations to you on that. I know that, uh, that you're really excited about that. And congratulations to Dana as well. Oh, yeah. We're excited for sure. Um, you can hear it in his voice. He's so tired. I'm going through the motions. We're right so now. excited. It's just the greatest thing that's ever happened. It's to a me. blessing. After I get up from this 12 day sleep that I'm about to endure. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Um, so you hit a little bit though on hunting. You had a good year and you go to Canada every year now, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. I had a really slow hunting year as far as, uh, I didn't get to go, but that was really the only trip I took to go hunt. I went one week in Saskatchewan. I go to Buck Country Outfitters up there. I've been going hunting with those folks for four or five years. And it's kind of almost like a vacation more than a hunting trip to me. It's so far away and removed. You, you sit for 12 hours out in the middle of a Canadian forest with literally, I, I don't know how far away you are from human any kind of interaction, but a long, long ways. And, and that was something that really appealed to me the first year I went out there. You, they take you out of a pop-up blind an hour before daylight and pick you up an hour after dark, and it's just you out there. And I mean, you it's don't hear – all-day sit. It's an all-day sit, oh, and, not go and well it's not warm. I mean, mm-hmm. I've sat a couple of times, been 30 below zero. Sometimes it's 10 below zero, sometimes it's 10 above. So it, you never know the weather, but I just – you collect your thoughts. It's almost like therapy. You know, you go out there and you're – looking out of a hole of pop-up blind, but just gathering yourself. You don't hear planes go over. You're not hearing cars go by honking the horn. The last man-made sound you'll hear is the guide's four-wheeler putting off into the distance, and the next sound you'll hear is the four-wheeler coming back to get you that's artificial. Everything else is 100% nature, and you're just out there. And it's uh, To me, I, I really enjoy that time. I wish I had more of it, but, uh, you know, a week at a, at a time is something I really look forward to going up there. How do you prepare yourself mentally and apparel-wise or attire-wise for sun up to sundown in negative 30? Well, there's not much you can do to prepare yourself mentally. It's just it's going to be cold. But, yeah. you know, it, it. there's not a lot of difference. And coming from a guy that's lived in Tennessee, uh, until a couple of years ago, I've never experienced much below single digits at all. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, a couple of times. I remember the classic at Hartwell one year, it was like nine at takeoff or seven. 
something like that, Tim. You remember mm-hmm. that? Oh, it, boats were freezing. It was, yeah, it, it was, was cold. It was, it was cold, cold. But prior to that, that was the coldest I'd ever been in. But there's not a lot of difference. Like once you get to like four or five degrees, you don't notice minus 25. It's just once you get so cold, it's just right. cold. Stay, stay mm-hmm. out of the wind kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, and, and, and that's it. And base layers really help. Um, I wear the best gear that you can. Uh, a lot of guys will do heaters, but I bow hunt up there, so I'm a little bit closer to, than most people are to where the animals are. So I let to have a heater in an emergency situation, but I don't. I didn't run it, and and I, that time in that extreme cold temperature, 103 days, I killed one on my third day. So, uh, but yeah, it's 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 pretty tough, and that's why I kind of find I like those in, endurance hunts that are yeah. a little bit. You know, I'm not a. I don't want it to be really easy. I know that's. Yeah kind of weird but uh i really enjoy my set out there i like doing it and, and just kind of collecting your thoughts after a long season you got a season coming up starting to work on business stuff but we were you know we talked about touched on a little bit earlier with the turmoil the fishing industry's sort of been in the last little bit this off season was so much going on i just really didn't get to hunt very much and that's something that i hope i get to do a good bit more next year i'll try to make up for it i got two things there one, what is the most comfortable seat to sit in for twelve hours? Because I I'm sitting in one right now that's okay, but I, if I, you had twelve hours, that's yeah, it's 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 not the most fun thing sometimes. I have a uh, it's just a Cabela's brand blind chair that kind of swivels and there's a lot of you kind of stand up and stretch out from time to time. But you know the day goes by faster than you think. Uh, I, I pack plenty of food. I've got a thermos or two full of hot chocolate or soup, whatever I'm going to have for that day and. You know, you're watching a lot of deer activity and, you know, stop and have a lunch break and a couple of snack breaks here and there. And and that's kind of the cool part. You you almost – I know this sounds really weird, but you almost remove yourself from the current situation. You're thinking and your thoughts just sort of drift off into where you just don't really think about it much, about being comfortable or cold or you're just kind of in that moment. And it's, it's hard to explain if you don't experience it. That's why I encourage everybody that, that even thinks they like to deer hunt. Hey, you want to go to like a remote place or Canada or just – out in your backyard in the woods, it's, get some time spent out there. It'll, it's no better place to collect your thoughts, in my opinion. I talked to an, another guy back on that. He said he was in Colorado, and it was like negative 10, but he said it's a dry cold. It's not a wet cold like mm-hmm. we have here in Tennessee, so it's not not as bad as you think. Is, is it the same way up in Canada? I'm not really sure. That, I've always heard the dry heat and all that sort of I, I mean, I think dude, if it's hot, it's hot and it's cold, yeah, it's you cold. Tell, somebody tells you, yeah, it's 130, but it's a dry heat in Vegas. <laughs> it's 130 on the thermometer. That's hot. Yeah. I don't care if it's humid or not. It's, it's cold, cold, and hot's hot to me. Now, did you do any elk hunting this year? I didn't. Now, that's the first year I've missed it since I started going, and I can definitely tell you when that calendar flips over to September, this year, I hope to be in the Elkwood somewhere because that's something I really missed out on on being. I, I, that's my favorite hunting, I'm not even a close second, really. And not only just the, from a hunting side, that's our you know that's how I feed my family and. Well, that's how we, you fed us too. I'm kind of upset we're not getting steaks this year. Yeah, <laughs> hey, I, I'll make up for it. I, I got plenty of ground burger meat. I'll get you guys lined out with, but that's uh, that's something that I, I really missed this year. Just didn't get the opportunity to get to go with everything going on. But again, like I said, I hope I'll get to make up for it next year because that's. I like the, I like the mobility of being able to move. You're not just sitting in one spot like mm-hmm. you're talking about. You don't have to be as quiet. You play the wind. It's more like turkey hunting, but the turkeys weigh 700 to 900 pounds and have big racks on their head, and it's it's fun. That's what I want. I, that's what I'm curious about. So when when you harvest the elk, mm-hmm. what is the packaged weight you're bringing home? Um, you know, just the meat you're bringing home. Mm-hmm. Probably, I'd say probably in. Uh, I think one elk on hoof was about 900 pounds. You're you're bringing. 
probably 400 pounds of meat home, I would so say. Pretty good. Yeah, pretty good I would say there. something between three and 400 pounds. What's your favorite cut? Like, I know I love tenderloin, you know, white, yeah, white same thing. same thing. Yeah, it's pretty much the same on the elk, like a steak, you know, the filet or yeah. whatever. So that's, I like it all. It's it's good. That's, yeah, that's all we eat. We don't buy beef at the store or any of that. All the meat that we have is either venison or elk meat that we harvest with a bow. So I like it. Spaghetti with elk meat is phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Dana started making that when you brought us some two years ago, and it's, it's the deal. It's it's tempting to even like you don't want to go through it all. Yeah, but you'd like to have it every week. It's yep. awesome. Yeah, and it's really good for you too. That's another thing. It's uh, the health benefit of, of elk meat is just off the charts. How protein packed it is, very lean. And I don't. I'm not going to pretend like I really know that much about it. But I have to feel like you know that helps you throughout the year, just staying sharper mentally, making decisions, and not putting junk in your body. Mm-hmm. The better you can fuel yourself, the better machine runs right just like anything out there you don't you know all the ethanol and the gas is hard on the boats right mm-hmm. so 100 gas is pretty good i gotta figure it's probably anything you get out of a box or a bag i try to avoid if i can so if you're if you're eating healthy you know the meals you're prepping at home and stuff like that what's your boat snacks what are you looking like there this is i've got to again we're talking about systematic stuff you guys are going to make fun of me before i'm done with this i'm not going to brian my but i have a, i'm with you so i get summer sausage made from my deer that i kill and the night before practice, I thought a big, long stick of uh, summer sausage. And I'll slice it up and put it in a one-gallon bag. And that's what I eat throughout the – that'll last, last me three days of practice. Okay. So I have elk, what they call hunter sticks. They're almost like Slim Jims but bigger around. And that's what I eat during the tournament days. So it allows me to – I can stick a couple in my pocket or as I'm running down the lake, I don't have to reach in the cooler and get one out and get your fingers kind of messy. Um, it's just quick and easy, but it's still protein-packed, really good for you. And it's it's not I'm not trying to choke a sandwich down and get mayonnaise on my hands mm-hmm. and you know it's just I can never make, miss a cast you know, I can cast a spinnerbait out take a bite of that under stick and get, never stop reeling so that's that's my program for practice and tournament days. Yeah, getting an elk out of the woods, do you have to pack it out like with a yeah. four wheeler? Yeah, we uh, I got lucky one time and we got it was close enough to where they could get to it with a four wheeler. They had like a little trailer deal built that we could roll up on, but the other one we it was pack out. And and I actually prefer the pack outs. That's the way the most all of them, but that one that we've killed was with our all pack out. And it, it gets into the hard. I mean, it's it's hot by this time. It's high elevation. You're about ten thousand feet in New Mexico, and it's you're hot. You're sweaty. You're bloody. You're tired. You're packing one hundred and fifty pounds of meat out on your back at a time, and it's all you can do to put your foot in front of the other one to make that next step going up the side of this mountain. And you look up and you're like, man, this thing never. I'm never gonna get there. This is impossible. But you do, then you take that next step, and then you stand there. You take that next step. It's like we talk about chopping wood. You just keep swinging that axe, and eventually you're going to get there. It's just a mental deal. It's creating self-discipline, and it's rewarding as well. So that's I'll never forget my very first time doing it and looking out over that this big valley in New Mexico and this huge elk ham in my back thinking, man, I, there's, they're going to carry me out of here. Not worry about the elk. And uh, it was a battle between my guide on who was going to be the first to quit. You know, So it's – Again, we're all competitors. It gets back into, you know, what, no matter what we do, we're going to throw rocks. I'm going to try to throw one further than you can. It's, I'm going to take one more step than my guide. So I remember he asked to take the first break, and I got like two steps past him, just collapsed on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm starting to see a pattern here. I don't know if you are, Tim, but it seems like you like to focus on mental perseverance. Yeah, probably you know, so. Like yeah, I, I like that some of that stuff a little bit more. The tougher, the harder, yeah. the you know, less people have done it, the more it appeals to me for some reason. But uh, it just took a lot of pride in the fact that anybody can go shoot a deer and throw it in the back of their truck. Not everybody can go, you know, chase an elk down and shoot it with a bow and arrow and then 
pack it out in a backpack. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just. I mean, if, Brian, if we want to go on, we got to start preparing now for like two years. I promise you, there's a lot of prep work that goes into it. A lot. There should be a lot because if not, you're in bad trouble. Would you weigh down a backpack and just run up hills? Or I did. The first walk uh, around the house with it. Yeah, the guy, Rodney Thomason, who uh, allowed me to go with him on the first trip. Uh, you know, we got all the logistics worked out and hung the phone up. I'm excited. My first elk hunt. He calls me back. He said, Hey, just for the record, you need to start exercising because I don't need you slowing me down and hangs the phone up. I'm like, Oh, okay. Challenge accepted. I don't want to be that guy, right? Mm-hmm. So, again, living in the mountains of East Tennessee, I've, I'm going to start. It's like August. And I'm going to just, oh, man, I'm, give me like a 50-pound weight. And I'm going to put it in my backpack and just start hiking the hills. I've not exercised in a long, long while at this stage in my life. And I go right up one of these big hiking trails, the hardest one there is at Frozen Head State Park. I don't need to start with intermediate or beginner. I'm going straight to advanced. I'll make it about a third of a mile up there, and I'm – laying out on this hiking trail, throwing up because I can't breathe, <laughs> <laughs> trying to get this 50-pound weight out of my backpack. And I remember rolling that thing down the hill. Somewhere on Frozen Head State Park, there's a 50-pound uh, uh, plate for lifting. Somewhere. I, I laid down in a creek because I thought I was going to die. If there, if I'd had cell phone service, I would have called the park rangers to helicopter me off of the mountain. I mean, I wanted out of there. <laughs> Did you ever use one of those high altitude little training masks? No, I didn't have any. I never needed one. I, I plenty of air gasping on my <laughs> own. So, I uh, but I trained really hard with do the weight deal in my pack, and man, it was just brutal. But it prepared me for that. Well, it kind of gets back into what we're talking about in the football days. You know, so mm-hmm. learn how to practice, learn how to prep, learn how to be dis- self disciplined, and and so you can achieve what you're after. And that that was what I did. So that was that was fun. The more grueling it was, the more I enjoy it. Oh, absolutely. Um, I want to jump back real quick to Canada, but how do you get a deer out of another country? Well, you can't bring the meat. Don't laugh, home. Brian. That's a, that's no, a that's fair That's a legit question. one. I get a lot. No, it is. I, just never I mean, they get it. mad about you bringing dang syrup out of there. So, right. I mean, how are you going to take one of their animals and bring it down here to eat it? Well, that's just it. You, you donate the meat. Uh, we do a lot, and I didn't get to this last time because I killed it on the very last day, but like on the third day of the hunt, you still got four or five days there. I'll still I'll go out with the guides and, and help set up other uh, – hunting sites and we'll take like the back straps out and grill them out over a fire or we'll cook them for dinner one night but we're not actually allowed to bring the meat back into the country so it's all donated to the local families there and so nothing goes to waste but we'll take the hide and the horns and uh put in a separate deal and bring it back to the country as long as you have your tag and everything you're good so they don't stop you or harass you as long as you get tagged not too bad you know they'll check it out um, whenever you're leaving the country make sure everything's legit and then again the customs when you come into the country just wants to check your hunting license and make sure everything's verifiable and everything's good to go but how it, scared it was, were you at that first check no i wasn't i was you I was, knew you had everything i wasn't done. too bad of shape no at that point i was in i was pretty good oh i would have forgotten something i would have been you i would have been like oh no 100 forgot <laughs> and the bad part about it is, is it, it would have been okay until they asked him the question and he'd be like oh like he would have known it was on the checklist. He could have answered any question they had. Yeah, oh, hook me up to a lie detector. I wouldn't know yeah. I was lying until yeah. you tell me. Yeah. Tim's kind of got that poker face going on. You know, you can't really read them. We don't know. How good you it. don't know what's going on in that head. That's right. It's scary. I'd be nervous, man. I was nervous to dang fish a tournament without a license before. So getting into the getting into Canada with a weapon is a lot more nerve wracking to me than getting out with the with the skull cap of an animal and some horns. That's uh. The, they give you some grief with a bow. You know, they, they don't. I, I took my rifle with me, though, because I'll uh, coyote hunt or whatever I do if I go uh, into Alberta one time. We went over there and did some coyote hunting. So I've always got both weapons with me, and they, they don't they don't really like the, the firearms. They're not like American people. They're, we kind of embrace it there and there. They're a little more reluctant. But yeah. 
they have their own set of rules for firearms and you're going to their country so you got to abide by them so they're uh, they're pretty strict on what comes in and, and making sure everything is accounted for and, and I'm pretty I'm, I'm fine with that I, I hope that we have the same you know things coming in you want to come to our country as well so it's just a little bit more of a hassle and just the fact that they can deny you entry or, or take stuff it just if you just want to make sure you got all your paperwork the way it's supposed to be how many do they count bullets coming in uh they do yeah so you can't lie oh yeah the deer only took me one shot yeah <laughs> and then you're counting out at customs you're like you're missing five yeah. bullets here yeah. sir there's some yeah. canadian customs <laughs> officer <laughs> yeah. waiting for you to write an article on it and they're going to call you out the biggest thing they want to make sure is that the wet the bullets you're bringing in match the weapon that right. you have and that they're they're uh stored the way they're supposed to be like and they're whatever like i have a little aftermarket plastic individualized bullet container yeah. that i have to have it in so and then having the proper paperwork because without that i can't just go to cabela's and buy a set of bullets mm-hmm. which is really weird to me like if you don't have documented stuff from the customs agents you can't go buy 30 out six rounds really this not gonna sell them to you so you gotta have the paperwork to yeah. to prove that you have a gun you're buying bullets Correct. for yeah I mean, it's only good for a certain amount of time and basically it's a it's a way to get more extort you for money because it costs you know whatever 50 or 75 dollars to bring a firearm into canada I can't hmm. remember exactly what it That's was. I remember as a kid, I used to get just so frustrated. I couldn't roll up into Walmart and get what I needed to go hunting. <laughs> you know, and you'd sit here talking about yeah. I have paperwork just to buy the ammo. Yeah. yeah. You'd like finding someone at the Walmart hunting counter. Though. That's, that's, a, that's, that's the valid. harder part That now. is the struggle, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, this one here in town, they're not bad, but I've been to some where good night, you got to get the guy mixing paint like it, it <laughs> on the other side of the like, store to come down and just unlock the ammo cabinet for you. All and that's before 3 p.m. <laughs> yeah. you got to be in a rural or an urban area. It's completely yeah. different depending on where you're at. They'll take the one person at the checkout to bring them back there to get <laughs> ammo because they all are uh, self-checkout now. Yeah. You get to a rural area, that's not, that's the most uh, gross income department. Yeah. Hunting and fishing department. Absolutely. got to be. It is. Well, man, uh, going forward to next year, uh, you got any events you're really looking forward to? Not, not any – in particular, I'd be lying to you if I could even probably recite half of the schedule. Well, you got twenty of them, so I mean, yeah, just pick a lake. You're right, probably right. going there. Let's go there. <laughs> a couple of some of them, a couple of times, I think. Um, you know, Cherokee Lake is coming back close to the house, and that one uh, kind of got away from me a little bit last year on day one, and had a couple get off. I'd like to have a a second crack at. And, and Sam Rayburn, I got a little. I've you been there twice. Revenge, yeah, huh? I've been there twice. I made the cut the first time I was there. Second time. I might as well not even left the house because my results would have been about the same. So I, I kind of got some unfinished business with that place a little bit. I kind of I'd like to get a little bit of revenge, and also I want to get some momentum, get the year started out right. It seems like every year I'm digging a hole and having to climb back out of it. So I'd like to get ahead of the curve one time. Now, selfishly, I need to know Cherokee. Do you throw the Mickey rig out there? You know, in the winter time, I do. Uh, I know you may not be there. Yeah, at they're, that they're time, a little but... more spawn. Yeah. I, that's kind of been a deal for us for. I mean, y'all quite y'all a while. done it for a long yeah. time, and then it kind of yeah. got blown up on the map. It has, and there's kind of several of those little niche things that kind of got going from from that area. You know, like the float and fly and tight lining, all that stuff was all developed out there, and, and that's something we grew up doing. You didn't know it was really abnormal, and, and a couple of guys do it on the tournament trail, and it's kind of a, a technique that's taken off, and people are using all over the country. So it's kind of neat to think of how much in the fishing roots has been. Uh, invented or, or kind of brought to the map from the little area that I'm from. Okay, well, selfishly, so I don't have to text you later, what is your Demicky rig setup? Well, I'm going to use a PAL 732 spinning rod, like six-pound gamma edge fluorocarbon, and I've got a, a dirty jig. They have a guppy head, you know, like uh-huh. a swim bait head, and it'll also double as a really good Demicky head as well. And I just use the regular Demicky shad and just drop into them. You know, you're getting on like structure, little places that 
you know, it may still be deep, but have access to really deep water. You know, it may be over like a little shelf that's 30 feet deep, but 60 is right there by it. You know, and you kind of graph, and sometimes you can see them up off the bottom, but a lot of times you just drop it. Domeki, you won't see anything. All of a sudden, you'll see them streak up off the bottom where they're kind of down in those rocks, and your sonar won't show them as well. And all of a sudden, they'll come up to look at that bait, and then you can start messing with them try to catch them. So strictly six-pound floor and no braid? Uh, I, I did, I'm sorry. I shouldn't say it. No braid. Fluorocarbon to braid. Good. You sure. just made it a little less expensive for yeah, you now. Yeah, but I'm a, I'm a 10-pound braid guy to, to any kind of fluorocarbon, whatever I'm using. How big a liter? I probably try to stick to about 15 feet because you break off a good bit mm-hmm. and you're getting down the road where I drop it down and go to lift up. And I hate retying. With the FG knot that I tie, you can wind your leader into the spool a good bit more. So that's something that allows you to tie a lot longer leader and not have to worry about a knot getting caught up into your spool. How long did it take you to learn the FG knot? I still can't figure it out. <laughs> I, I can show it to you. It's not too bad. It, it took a little time for sure. There's a lot of different ways, little small variances on the internet if you watch four or five videos. And I kind of have a little bit of my own recipe now from different things that I've taken from people. But it's definitely, uh, if you don't get that thing cinched down good before you, you cut your tag ends, it is not good. How long does it take you to tie one now? Uh, just a minute or two. I can't do it. I'm like five right now. I don't even know what knot y'all are talking about. <laughs> so we're like, yeah, okay. I mean, it's it's a legit knot, but dang, yeah. it's hard to tie. It, it's a little bit I more I feel like I need one more arm and maybe a couple more fingers, and I may get it in like two minutes. The fact that you can kind of look at it after it's tied and think, you know, there's my fluorocarbon is straight and there's not a any kind of little kink or a knot or anything. It could just slide out mm-hmm. and you're fishing for 100,000 and there's a five-pounder on the other line. It makes your heart feel a lot better whenever you hear that knot click through the guides and go into the spool when oh, you yeah. turn the cranks on. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? You're like, oh, please. Now, so, when when you're dropping down on them, though, you like to stay above them. I do. You don't like to get it down below. No, you want to stay they, up above them. They, yeah. I've heard several people say that's kind of the key. Uh, to that's that. the deal with the Mickey Shad, yeah. yeah. You want to stay up above it. They, uh, you know, smallmouth, they're down there in the wintertime. A threadfin shad isn't going to, like, swim down, like, look at my eye, be like, hey, what are you doing down here? Mm-hmm. That's just not the way. They're, they want to stay away from that stuff. You know how you go up to a, a boat dock and you see all the bluegill are up on that dock? You know, they're not down there swimming where the five-pounder is. Yeah, it's kind of the same difference. So three inch or two and three quarter inch, what uh, just whatever the regular Domeki shad is. I, I'm, I'm not really sure exactly what it is. is it, I think it's a three inch. Mm-hmm. I, I think it, it is. That's too. that's one. I, I just use the regular Domeki shad. Super glued. Yep. Yep. Glued up on the head and good to go. I'm gonna try it. Let's go fish. Let's do it. All right. <laughs> You we guys need to come to my neck of the woods. And we, we do. do. Well, we Tim's do. Ford, it would probably work out really good. I'd say I've been yeah. thinking Tim's, it would work out. I enough. think even Smith, you may even yep. work Yeah, Smith awesome. for sure. Yeah. I think you could get spots to eat it pretty oh, good. Yeah. I mean, those, those things are mean anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, they're looking up too, right? Yeah. I mean, they're on a herring lake. A lot of those bass like to look up and, and bait chasers. So, yeah, I definitely think it would be a player on Smith. Now, uh, you did some filming last year during the year, uh, like some live coverage and stuff on I the did. boat. And yep. You've done that for, uh, what, a couple of years now? Just the past year was the first year I started doing it live streaming on the boat during all my tournament days. And it was something that I kind of got the idea of uh, from live coverage on St. Clair. I had a lot of people that were tuned in watching it and telling me, man, I wish we could do that all the time. So I started looking, and there was a couple of people that had done something like that with their cell phone. And, the, and I wanted to do something with a better image, so I – I've been working with a with an app company to develop something I can Bluetooth through my GoPro, and, and it's a lot of work in progress. And it's just the the hard part is is there's no way to like practice it. You're either live or you're not, right? So mm-hmm. uh, if we didn't have good cell phone coverage, or we get in a weird spot where the app would not want to com- be compatible with the GoPro, and you're trying to battle through that a little bit. Meanwhile, the tournament's going on, you're trying to compete at. But 
yeah, I'm going to still try to continue that this year as well. It's a live stream to my Facebook page. It's pretty much the good, bad, and the ugly. You know, whether you catch them or you don't, you get to see everything that goes on in a day of the boat. That was it distracting at all? No, I, I don't even think anything about it. Once I get it cranked up and it goes, as long as it's functioning right, I'm in pretty good shape. But, you know, there's a time or two I have to restart it. If I'm going to sit down and run somewhere, I'll check it. I have an iPad on the side of my boat that I run it all on. So I might have to redo it. Or if I've lost signal, I'll have to restart the, the connection. But really, once I, I just crank it up in the morning and kind of forget about it, really. I think, we're, uh, you know, we're getting to the point. I know you got to hook up to the boat and head out. But I think Tim and I, if you don't mind, we'd like to fire like some rapid-fire questions sure. at you. Just kind of back and forth, get some quick answers. Uh, Tim, you got any you want to start with? Yeah, absolutely. Um, hand-painted or factory crankbaits? Man, I'm a huge hand-painting guy. I've painted thousands upon thousands of, of crankbaits myself. This day and age at 37, I'm all about store-bought crankbaits because I can replace them. There you go. I don't have to paint them again. Flip-flops or tennis shoes? Tennis shoes. Um, are you wearing visors or hats? Hats. Favorite college team? That'd be the Tennessee Volunteers. There we go. Large orange. Do you think mirrored lenses' colors matter? Yes. Sorry, you got me out. You got me out. I really want to make a smart like comment right there. Like, go for it. No. Let no, it rip. No, no, no. This is a Tim joke we'll have to go back to. Okay. Let's see. First rod you're going to pick up first thing in the morning. Oh, at what lake? Mm, let's say Cherokee. We've been talking about that. Oh, Cherokee. Um, a big swim bait. No matter where you go, what's one bait that's always in the boat? Um, I have several. Um, drop shot, chatter bait, flipping stick. What's your go-to decoy bait? <laughs> I don't know that I have a decoy. Oh, bait. yeah. <laughs> I don't have a decoy. I, uh. I just like, I mean, that's the thing. There's really not that many secrets out there anymore. Everybody kind of knows everything, but, you know, it's all about making those adjustments on a water, whatever I got to do to say they're slowing down or speeding up, one of the two. Coke or Pepsi? Uh, definitely Coke. There you go. My biggest advice. That's the that's my biggest problem in life is I'm addicted to Coca-Cola, so the originals. Oh, Diet Coke's my advice. I pound them, man. It's, it's sad, really. Like I, I no telling <laughs> what kind of shape I'd be in if I did just drink water. But man, I'm a Coke fan. I just can't help it. Last question I've got for you. All right, go to phone call on a log ride home. Oh man, you better say Becky now. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, we don't have long phone calls. Everything's pretty short and sweet there. Um, if I'm going to be on a long phone call, I can call my man Luke Duncan. I can always get a good hour out of him. Scott Canterbury is another one of my best friends that we can uh, we always got a lot to talk about there. That's my two my probably a long my first phone call guys are going to be. All right, my last one is how many rods do you carry in the boat? Oh my gosh, way too many probably. But I've uh, I probably have thirty to forty in my boat all the time. I would say how many spinning rods out of that? Um, I'm probably going to have six spinning rods in there most of the time. It's pretty decent average, it's more than most. And that yeah. was the second question, by the way. It was a follow-up to the first. I just leave so it counts as one. All right, so like I've got a shaky head tied on all the time. Yeah. I've got a drop shot tied on all the time. I've got a wacky worm tied on all the time. So from there, I might have a, a wacky rig Cinco or I might have a Nico rig with a with a Magnum trick worm for out deep fishing. I mean, there's just so many different things, and, and finesse tactics have, have caught on so much now. It's almost not even worth calling them finesse. They're just, you know, a Ned rig now is as much of a staple as a flipping stick, if not more. So that's the thing. It's not an anomaly anymore to be like, oh, that's my spinning rod, you know, or one of my two spinning rods that I have. You have to have so many now from the Kitek swim baits to wacky worms to, I mean, good and gracious at all the different techniques, 
you know, small bait wise, you need different spinning rods for. So. Brian's acting like he's shocked, but that dude's always going to have a Ned, a shaky head, a Texas rig, a crankbait, and he may have a spinner bait if he can find them. But those four are always going to be in his deck. Probably like five Texas rigs. Yeah. 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 That's all right. I'm going to break off uh, quite a few. But yeah. It helps to check your line more than once every month. Well, it does. <laughs> it does. This dude will literally. He like is the epitome of if it was good for the last cast, it's still good for the next cast six months later. Like yeah, he does I can, not. Check I can it. help you be an economy fisherman. Yeah, like I can let you know what line's going to last the longest because okay. I'm not changing it very often. No, Whatever it's going to be, yeah. cast it out. It looks like a phone cord all gold up <laughs> yeah. out there. Yeah, oh, it's we're bad. Gonna, we're going to troll it out to the first spot, <laughs> especially in the cool. night tournaments. When you see it under the black light, his <laughs> is like this corrugated. Just whoop, 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 whoop. you know where he casts because you can see it for sure, and the guy all the way across the river can see it. Yeah, got to fish. Heavyweight on the Texas rig, yeah, yeah. stretch, yeah. stretch the line He's out. It on. Hey, if it works for you, go for it, big guy. <laughs> That's, That's right. all I can say. If it go on between your ears, well, you are uh, made the switch this year actually to a twenty-one footer. I did, I did. How's that feel? I don't know yet. I'm afraid. <laughs> I, I looked at a twenty-one a minute ago. I thought, man, this thing is like a barge so big because I've always been a twenty-foot guy. And uh, you know, I'll just say it. I, I came out of a Ranger I, I, in 2015. Was my first year with a Phoenix, and I always had twenty-one foot Rangers. Because, you know, speed's really not an issue there. Uh, I wanted to go to the Phoenix. I'm gaining speed. I'm going to go to the 20. So I could, I'm going to get up on that wheel and drive that thing. Well, mm-hmm. I, want to, I want to hammer it out. And so that's why I kind of stayed with the 20. And I, it performed as good as I could ever imagine in any kind of rough water that I've ever been in. I really have no idea why I went to a 21. Just kind of wanted a little bit of a change up. The Elite came out. And uh, I just thought I'd give it a whirl. Why not? We're going to see what happens. So. Well, you got a pack for 20 tournaments. You might as well get yeah, it. Yeah, I may need boat. it all in there. I don't want to jam it full of tackle. So that's another thing. A little more storage space. But I don't know. I've, I've, we'll just see what happens. Now, you came over from a Ranger. Mm-hmm. That was a single lid. Yep. You went to a 920, ran mm-hmm. that for a couple of years, and you had the double lid. Now you're, you went to the PHX and the Elite. Mm-hmm. Do you find yourself you are a single lid? God, does that work better yep. for you? I, I do prefer the single lid. I know some guys have a valid case for dual lids, and that's the cool thing about Phoenix. They have options to fit what you're looking for. And for me, I like being able to open that lid up and see all of my tackle boxes from A to Z, right? I, I've got all my stuff, all the side. At one time, I can sit there and look, and I might get my memory jogged. Oh, yeah, this might work really good here. I mean, when you start looking at all the tackle you have, I mean, you forget what you really have or what, what you can do. So I just like being able to look at all my options, everything that I have there in one space, and and that works best for me. Oh, absolutely. And the slam latches, are they don't hurt at all either. The slam latches are the deal. They are. They are the deal. No more sitting on top of your lid. I was the world's worst for forgetting that front latch and not having it uh, tucked down out of the way so it would be sitting straight up and you'd sit down. It was total violation every time. Uh, it would wake you up in the morning. We've all been there, so <laughs> no more of that, and I don't miss it no. at all. Did you get the padded cooler lid? I always get the padded cooler. Right. I may have been the one that came up with the padded cooler. You may cooler. have been. What are you talking about? I, I, was, I love that thing. Oh, it's mm-hmm. the deal. So you're on your knees looking at your thing. Mm-hmm. It's a big saver there. What's well, so outside of that? What's one of your favorite options that you do to yours? Oh, my gosh. Let's see. Uh, you know, I originally, when I first got my 920, I was doing a couple of different deals with that PVC board for tackle organization, but I don't, I don't do any of that anymore with the, with the mm-hmm. PHX boats. No, really? I don't, I don't do a whole, whole lot into them anymore. Well, you got wheels though. Some, What's your preference for a wheel? Uh, I'm going to put big rims on there. I, I like the rims. I had the warrior rims for the last few years that I was a, a big fan of. And then I've got the new ones this year. What are, what's the name? Rampage. Rampage rims. So that's, uh, I like the look of those. So. Gonna rock those this year. So you big wheel guy, big trailer upgrade yeah. there. We 
get a lot yep. of customers that do that. I like the shocks on the trailer. That's a that's a standard option for me there. One new thing this year that I'm I always like to have the new stuff, right? But the C deck that we have in the cockpit, something mm. I'm really excited about. You know, I think that's a trend that's going to continue in the boating industry, not going backwards. The C deck, I think, eventually is going to uh, be a lot more of a player for instead of the carpet. Mm-hmm. I like the idea of does it soak up water, not going to fade. You know, so it's, that's kind of going to be a, interesting to see if if that's something that catches on and pushes into the bass boat market. And it, and it should dry quicker too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, look, man, I know you got to get back. You got. I guess three days to get everything done, wrapped, rigged, packed away, <laughs> broke yeah. in, broke well, in. We got, a, we're like, uh, what's the smoking in the bandit? We got a long ways that's to right. go in a short time to get there. That's but right. I don't know anything any different. That's sort of the way we do it in the bass fishing world. We late fall and summer, we kind of sit around and then right after the holidays, we're to mad scramble to get everything done to, you only have four months to do it, but now, right. <laughs> right. now let's let's cram it all into one week. It makes it a little easier, yeah. right? Uh, that's the way it seems like it is every year. Oh, I can I can attest to that. Well, look, we appreciate you hanging out with us. Uh, good luck in your twenty endeavors this year, and uh, hope to be seeing some trophies. And definitely, we'll be seeing you at the classic. I'm sure. Yeah, that's one thing uh, I wanted to talk about too that we didn't get a chance to touch on. Let's talk about the Phoenix FLW bonus bucks that we've got now. That's a big deal coming I mean, up. Yeah. I'm fishing now. It's a thirty thousand dollar bonus to win tournaments next year. I've got seven events that I'm thirty five. Is it thirty? Okay, thirty five thousand dollars. I can additional dollars every time I fish a tournament on the tour level and the uh, FLW series level. So that's incredibly strong, and that's another thing that makes me want to. You know, the reason I'm fishing more events is it's a lot more money to fish for. So you got BFLs. Uh, we've got a yep. seven thousand dollar payout, seven and, we, and we got it broken out by dollars. a couple of model years. Um, but we're paying highest finisher in the BFLs and the uh, FLW series yeah. events. So. Five hundred dollars on the uh, highest finishing BFL if it's not a qualified Phoenix owner, That's, and then FLW series a thousand dollar highest finisher. It's awesome. So, so you're talking a guy can spend two hundred dollars in a ter- in a BFL tournament, and if he's running the right stuff. What's a BFL pay to win? Five or six thousand dollars? If it's full, yeah. yeah. Okay, so let's just say five grand. All right, and you're in, the, in a Phoenix and you've got power pole, whatever, all the contingency stuff. You're talking about adding another almost ten thousand dollars on top of what you win. You win fifteen grand sleeping in a bed, mm-hmm. in your own bed at home, I, and you pay two hundred dollar entry fee. I was thinking about turning in my notice. And I mean, you should. Go fish. I mean, we're, we're not allowed to do it as, as employees, right. but so they're turning in notice. Yeah, you, <laughs> quit. you dang put in two hundred dollars, <laughs> and let's say you, you're not going to set the world on fire, but you can get a dang top 50 and you're the highest finishing Phoenix and you paid for your tournament plus your expenses. That's exactly yep. right. And a lot of boat payments you can pay with that with 15 mm-hmm. grand, right? That's so right. anybody that's in the market for a new boat fishing tournaments, that's, you're going to have to give that a, a really serious look. And it's cool with our new partnership with them that, uh, they're going to be handling the contingency side. So when you get your, your, uh, let's say you come in first place, you get your check for that. Plus your Phoenix bonus right there, contingency money and you get to walk away with it and, yeah. Uh, only cost well, it's nineteen ninety five to sign up this year yep. and uh, get your registration card and a decal. But the card you show at you know your tournament meeting, so they know to check you off for the contingency money. So That's we're awesome. real excited about it. No, it's a it's a big deal for us. Yeah, for sure. I'm still trying to wrap my head around this whole Phoenix FLW thing. <laughs> so that's uh, it, it's exciting for me being kind of an FLW Phoenix guy. You know, yep. I was you know, running the, one of the only ones there for so long, and now to see it all come full circle and you know that's that's something that's pretty cool for me, and I'm really excited about growing that and doing what I can to help make that work good for everybody. Yeah, we got several finishes on FLW. Absolutely, tour this year. a whole lot. I mean, it used to be you and Drew Benton is all I could remember back yep. in thirteen or something. Yeah, but no, no, we're really excited about that partnership, and it uh, should be good. So yeah, everyone definitely check out the uh, Phoenix bonus. 
um, or I'm sorry, FLW Phoenix bonus program. Yep. I will have all that listed on our website and FLWs as well. Is that in addition to the Phoenix First Flight, or is it one or the so other? They are they are two separate programs, completely okay. separate. Um, in, in years past, a lot of the FLW tournaments, BFLs and things like that, that, what was the Coastal Series, they were First Flight Tier 1 and Tier 2 events. Mm-hmm. Now they are not on the First Flight any longer. Okay. Um, but they're, the – oh, my goodness, I'm blanking. T there's another there's one series left. The TBF is TBF still, is on, still um, on there. That's okay. still on the first one. But mainly we we separated all of our um since we are the official boat of FLW, we separated all those into their own program. Um so if a guy is just fishing BFLs or coasts, he can sign up and do that. But if he's also over here fishing opens, I mean he can still be in both programs. They just uh they're just two separate deals for yeah, him. Yeah. Two deals, and and in theory, you know, a guy could still win fourteen thousand from Phoenix yeah. in a week. They could they could win a BFL on Saturday and turn right around and, and fish a Tier One, you know, first flight tournament on Sunday and and take home seven grand from that too. Mm-hmm. That'd, be, that'd be a really sweet trip to the bank on Monday. It would be, morning, wouldn't it? It would be. Speaking from a man who took a five hundred thousand dollar check to the bank, <laughs> how many lollipops you get with that? Well, I can tell you, I kept it in my wallet for about two weeks because I was afraid. Not, I didn't know what would, to do with it. That's scary. I, I was really worried. You know, I thought there'd be like, hey, you know, when we get home, you'll get some bank, some kind of really like a wire formal, transfer. Yeah, some yeah. big deal, right? Like this, they just walk up and hand you a check like they do in a BFL for big fish, or yeah. like, oh, here's your check and whatever. Oh, it's just for half a million dollars. Let me just tote that home. I'm paying for a Coke at the gas station. Like, let me thumb bass this check for $2. You know what I mean? No, man, I don't have any quarters. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't know what to do with this thing. So I would have had to have done the Happy Gilmore. Like, no, I want one of those big ones. I got, I got give one, me that big one. I got that too. That's what I wanted. Yeah, what, so, but my worry was like, in all seriousness, was like, once you put it in the bank, is there tax implications now? Or once does yep. the time clock start ticking? You've got so many days. I, there, I was so foreign to anything like that. I, I, I wanted to meet with some uh, people that were professionals in that industry. Smart man. Uh, right. Met with a lot of financial advisors, accountants on what to do and, and what was the best way there. So once we put it in the bank, another thing is, is making sure it's FDIC insured only goes mm-hmm. for so long too. So there was a couple of different things that we did there and got some money different ways. And one thing I want to talk about too, about my story a little bit is my background, my family, my, my dad and, and a couple of business partners that owned a radio station in town where I lived at for the past 50 years. We were actually having our 50th anniversary there. And, uh, with the cup win over the last couple of years, I've been kind of looking for some investment opportunities, but something that's pretty safe. I didn't want to really put it in the stock market or anything like that. And uh, my brother has been working at the radio station for about the past three years now, kind of under my dad. And uh, I approached him about uh, if he was interested in going in and, and buying the business partners out. And he was, and, and long story short, over the course of about a past year and a half, that's something we've been working really di- diligently on, and uh, we were able to get finished up this past spring. So uh, now WCO radio in Wartburg is a, as a night family owned company now. So it's something my dad started. Uh, we didn't start. He started working there when he was fresh out of high school and worked his way up and into ownership there with other multiple partners. And now it's all able to see all the fruits of his labor and along with a good investment for me and stuff for my family to be taken care of and now have a family owned business, you know, moving forward. Something we're all really excited about. And that's actually what I'm going to be wrapping my truck and boat in this year is going to, my title deal is going to be on for the radio station there. So something I'm pretty excited about being able to grow that moving forward. But also, uh, you know, that's another thing we're talking about our cup win about the time it allowed me to have with my daughter growing up now allows me to 
um, probably solidify something my dad's always wanted. Let's be honest about it. You got two sons and you have a company. You want to, it'd be, I'm sure he's always had some dream, whether he hasn't really talked about it a whole lot, of having his sons follow in his footsteps or at least have some type of something you worked hard for. It's not just going to sell it to somebody else, right? Mm-hmm. You have something to your legacy there. And my brother started working there after uh, he went to Tennessee Tech, got a business degree there and a couple of different deals, but never really found anything he was passionate about. And and this he is. He, he really loves it. And uh, sports is a big thing for us there. So he's able to do play-by-play with high school sports, UT sports, and, and get in there. And, and so long story short, again, that allows him – he's taken care of. It, it all. I've got a good investment there. It's all full circle and all brought to you by catching a bass. And as, again, that just so wraps my head. We're, I mean, this building we're sitting around, the, the manufacturing plant behind us, all this over a fish swimming around the water kind of blows my mind sometimes at just what kind of lifestyle that can support mm-hmm. or the impact that can have it really is it's, it's crazy really to think about and we've done nine podcasts so if you guys need anybody to fill in um yeah at the radio station we got it hey I, mean, I was just fixing to say yeah we got a radio station i'm looking at a lot more fancy equipment than anything we have there you guys got it going on here uh there's just a bunch of buttons none of them really do anything I, would, I don't have any idea which one to push to make things happen. If they do, we don't know what it does. Right. <laughs> so you just turn. Well, you're looking good anyway. That's half the battle. Hey, that's all it is. Got to look good to play good. That's right. Um, but, man, look, we appreciate it. You're going to get stuck in Chattanooga if we don't let you out of here. That's all right. <laughs> well, heck, I hope you got some deer meat. Yeah, well. Yeah, you're going to need some snacks if you get hung in Chattanooga. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> well, shoot, let's just grill some steaks right now and call it a day. Yeah, yeah where's Duke? Doesn't he have a big green egg around here somewhere? He's, he does. He does, and Andy's got a Traeger. Yeah. Oh man, he's got a Traeger. Duke, Duke is angling to get a Traeger off somebody else around here. That's yeah. going Duke is trying to trade his egg for a Traeger. Yeah. I think. Right I tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll buy him a Traeger and take his egg back home with me. <laughs> there you go. He'd probably take you on that right now. Yeah, you better you better go find him quick because he will. <laughs> well, look, man, we appreciate it. Thanks for coming down. Thank and, you guys. Uh, I good luck this it. year. Thank you. I appreciate it, Ryan. Yes, sir.